extensively, as you all know, and uh, but here I am. I am back, sitting in my in my little perch, and uh, ready to share with you from God's Word this morning. Uh, we're looking at the life of Christ, uh, really now into the final week of the life of Christ, uh, prior to His crucifixion, uh, Holy Week it would be called. And so we'll be giving consideration this week to to those days um, leading up to the crucifixion of Lord Jesus Christ uh, for all of us. And uh, I realize that just getting back into the swing of things here, there may be uh, folks who join us late. Uh, you know, that that's the downside of going away for an extended period of time is the fact that uh, 
kind of lose momentum a little bit, but uh, it is a part of what I'm called to do. So uh, we'll take it and folks will find us as they're able or listen in later. But to those of you that are here live with me this morning, so glad to be with you and uh, be able to share. I'm not going to talk much about the trip um, and the two different aspects of the trip uh, because uh, I'm going to share that at a later time, uh, more full time. And rather than giving that to you twice, uh, I will give it to you uh, just once and uh, that'll be a, a live event and uh, I'll talk about the two different aspects that uh, I participated in. Uh, one was uh, the one in Turkey, of course, and then also the African excursion. Uh, and uh, so I will talk with you more about that at uh, at a little bit later date. I got to sort through all my thousand plus pictures that I took and uh, uh, put together a good good PowerPoint or video or some type of presentation and uh, be prepared to talk. That will be a lengthy, a more lengthy. I'm going to guess I'm probably going to take an hour and a half uh, of time to talk through the experience and uh, what, what I saw and still kind of processing in my soul a little bit what, what to do with, with all of this because you can't go on an ex, uh, a trip like I was on and uh, not be changed. I, mean, I guess you could go on a trip like I was on and not be changed by it. But, you know, I, I need to come back to, okay, what what is it that God is really wanting to do in my being uh, as a result of, of having been away uh, as I was away? And what does he want to do in my, in my being, in my own formation, uh, in my own character, my own calling? And uh, I'm still kind of processing some of that, um, uh, Frankly, when I got in the airplane on Friday, uh, I was just wiped out, and uh, it was a very good experience. But you know, it was it was a challenge, challenge to be here. I am talking about it. Like I said, I wouldn't talk much about it, but but a challenge of being in uh, foreign countries where there aren't many people speaking your language all that often, unless they're directing their uh, conversation to you which cases sometimes the, the way the English is is kind of broken and you have to say, I, I, help me understand, let's state that differently because I'm not understanding what it is that you're trying to say uh, or to just be listening to people talking to each other in uh, Arabic, which was what was mostly spoken around me or a tribal dialect and, and not know what's being said. That, that, was, that was a challenge a little bit and uh, to somebody who likes to be connected with people. So that uh, uh, buying things you all are aware of, of uh, my situation in uh, South Sudan, getting there, realizing they don't take credit cards. And you can, I mean, th those are things you can know in advance, uh, knowing that, yeah, they take American money, but they're very limited on, on what American money they will take, uh, or limiting, I should say. And, uh, you know, we like to put things in nice, neat, tidy little boxes like we have here in America. Uh, where there's structure and infrastructure and, you know, for whatever confusion we might have with our government and talk about red tape and bureaucracy and all that, I think I'd rather have that than, um, I think I'd rather have that than uh, what they don't have, where there is no infrastructure and where there is no uh, 
you know, you can't count on the government. The government really is looking out for itself. Those at top leadership, I mean, it's to pad their pockets and more than care for the people. And uh, um, there, there really is not a lot to complain about here in America, having been now into a place like South Sudan. And uh, um, so just there's a lot of processing I need to do. Uh, I, I realize I live in America where we have American standards and American means and and, and we have our American systems and our American structures and whatnot. And I cannot expect us to be a people who would choose to live like they live in other parts of the world. However, um, I do think that it does have some meaning to us uh, in the sense of uh, we need to take stock of ourselves and some of the whining and complaining that we do uh, when really it isn't, it isn't as bad as we make it out to be. Although, we're pretty heavily taxed in America. That that is for certain. So, um, yeah, I, I I could talk. It was like two different worlds: the world of the uh, conference on the front side in Turkey. Uh, we lived. We, we stayed in uh, one very nice hotel, and then we stayed a few nights in a different hotel that wasn't quite as nice. Um, because we had to travel several hours to get to where the other cities were. So we, we were between two hotels. Uh, we began in one hotel, went to a second hotel, then came back to the first hotel. That was the, the strategic plan of when you're moving, you know, between uh, 250 and 300 people, uh, you have to have things choreographed pretty well. And uh, they, they were decently choreographed, uh, not, not a lot of conflict. And especially when you have people from lots of different places in the world with lots of different experiences and lots of different languages. Uh, it, it was well choreographed and uh, the movements were, were smooth. But going from where I was in Ephesus uh, at the Koromar uh, Hotel and uh, Conference Center, uh, going to um, where I went in South Sudan, worlds of difference. And uh, smorgasbord, uh, buffet meal three times a day, you know, about anything you could think of to eat, they had, and, and uh, nice, clean rooms, hot water. I lived several days with, once I got to Sudan, where there was no hot water. Uh, and you're just thankful for for water and uh, making sure not to drink or brush your teeth with uh, the water that came out of the spigot because it could have been tainted and uh, uh, all those types of things. So we have we have so much to, to be which to give God thanks here, those of us living in America, and to pray for those that live in other places of the world, like South Sudan. Very interesting place. Uh, I mean, the people, uh, especially away from the big cities, uh, I think I'd rather live away from the big cities, actually, in South Sudan. Uh, we, we went to a place called Magui, and I really liked that area. It was clean, um, largely clean. The cities, they don't have the infrastructure of waste management in the big cities, so Trash gets piled up, and then it gets lit on fire. And so there's lots of burning trash around. It's just because they don't have, you know, and, and that was one of the first things I noted. And it took me a few days to be able to get my mind off the fact of how dirty things seem to be uh, in the cities. But you think about there's no infrastructure and uh, no trash management, nothing like that. That's one of the things you could pray for in a place like South Sudan in the cities. And uh, goats everywhere. Uh, they don't have traffic signals, uh, stop signs, and things like that. Uh, you're supposed to drive on the 
opposite side of the road of what we do here in America, but they drive all over the road, literally. I mean, I'm not kidding. And there are uh, Bora Boros. Uh, it's Boda Boda, but it sounds like they're saying Bora Bora uh, there in uh, South Sudan. Those are little people, not little people, but they're people, little motorcycles. You know, they're like maybe 125 to 250 cc motorcycles that serve as taxis or serve as trucks. Uh, I mean, they carry all kinds of goods on the back of a motorcycle and, uh, and people are just flying around everywhere. And, you know, I, I would have probably been in a hundred accidents had I been driving there. So, uh, getting used to the way that people drive, uh, it's, it's, and not only is the steering wheel and the gear shift on the wrong side of the car compared to what we're used to here in America, uh, but they don't even drive on the wrong side. They just drive all over the road and uh, very, very interesting uh, type of uh, type of an experience uh, uh, to have. And uh, so I'll, I'll share more about that. Uh, the people, the church were, were winsome people, uh, very um, almost over the top in how they give their greetings. In fact, I would say over the top. My one Sunday I was there. They spent more time in greetings than they did necessarily in, in preaching, and uh, and I, I am not exaggerating that fact, uh, and that's because uh, with my presence, they had a lot of other church representation there, and they take the time to recognize everybody and give them a chance to speak, and uh, you know, so uh, just different, and it's quite hot there. Uh, the church setting, you could look up at the at the roof and see the holes in the roof uh, from they they had gotten the metal was shipped to them uh, from America but it had been metal taken off of another roof that they used and there were still holes in it so uh, you know just a complete different environment and uh, it, you would have to be prepared to go to a place uh, like that um, some people probably couldn't stomach it actually um, but if you were willing to uh, you know, be prepared uh, to prepare yourself physically, to prepare yourself mentally, to prepare yourself spiritually. You could probably go. Uh, I would like to go there and to take some people with me, um, people who would have uh, insight in as purchasing things. And it's not like you can run down to the local Home Depot there. You have to go to probably 15 or 20 different little, little shops to get what building materials you would need. So I would need somebody that's adept in, in that type of bartering, need somebody adept in building, uh, in organizing building. Uh, want to take a few people to help have some insight into um, how to create sustainable uh, endeavors uh, like raising chickens. And I have a man from West Virginia and even a man right here from Maine, actually we're locally, uh, both who have an interest in that. Uh, the one is already globally has called called the Global Poultry Initiative, uh, how to help them raise sustainable poultry. Uh, then also uh, people who could help with uh, thinking about the, the small farming that you can do in racks, you know, uh, like on shelves in in a in a semi trailer or or that type of a situation when they don't have land available or. If they did farm on land, the problem is uh, critters like gazelles and camels and donkeys and goats and things like that. And uh, uh, so it was, it was, uh, 
I, I'd like to take some people who have that ability to, to help people think through and to assess what could we do to help them because they do want to be sustainable. Uh, so th those are a few types of people. Uh, also, some people to help think through education. They had a school there until 2013 and the first war, then the second war, 2016. In fact, I think they had 2005, 2013, 2016. They did have a school there, and they'd like to get their school back up and running. And uh, um, so some people to go along, you know, a, a band of maybe uh, six of us, uh, they're very interested in women's ministry uh, and youth ministry. So I, I do plan to go back. I do plan to try to rally some people to uh, come together, not just from our church, but, uh, you know, I, from from here to Virginia at least, uh, when I say Virginia, I'm thinking uh, Annandale, Virginia, uh, former church where I had served. That actually, the the former pastor there who retired here in the last year, uh, really was of aid to them in thinking through how to ordain their pastors and and give them legitimacy. So, um, uh, within the Evangelical Free Church of America, uh, many churches there, uh, Evangelical Free Churches here in Maine. Uh, evangelical Free Churches in New England and reaching as far down as Virginia, uh, perhaps uh, to rally some troops together to see if we can't give aid. Now, again, it's a country that is a level four with the State Department. That, that means it's a country they don't advise going to. But these people are hungry for sustainability. They're hungry for theology. They're hungry for ministry training. Um, they're hungry for education. Uh, and they're being left out because it is a challenging place to get into. And I went because I was absolutely convinced I was supposed to go. So, uh, so yes, there's a prayer here uh, listed, um, you know, uh, speak to the hearts of people who, are, who, who can accompany me on a trip. Uh, please enable them to hear and uh, seek to step out and obey your call. And I, we would agree with that prayer now very much so. And, uh, Thinking of Priscilla, you wouldn't have been able to take your Airstream in, into this country, and uh, um, they would have uh, figured out a way to get that away from you uh, for certain. And, of course, I think you guys probably did experience on some of your travels being in some of those places in Central America where a little bit of cash helped you buy access to things. And it's kind of the same way in, uh, in Sudan, but they don't have roads that, I mean, it was even the wide what I would call their superhighway, nothing paved. Uh, I mean, they had washouts and they had ruts in the road and they had, you know, places where the, the bridges had washed out and they had kind of sort of repaired it. And uh, you'd go down a dip and back up a dip and, and uh, it's passable by vehicle. Uh, you know, uh, I didn't get to ride around in a Land Rover, but uh, it was a Toyota something uh, that we were in. And, uh, uh small little four-wheel drive vehicle that got us where we needed to go. Fascinating, fascinating uh, experience. So um, anyway, I want to get us into scripture this morning. I've talked enough. I know you, we're all uh, excited to hear more about the trip. Now, I'm going to take us into Mark chapter 9 to consider uh, Jesus. Now remember, yesterday was, was Hosanna Day. Yesterday was a day of expectation uh, as Jesus rode in and they were throwing their palm branches uh, down in front of Jesus, which was like begging for help. Uh, Jacob talked about that yesterday. Uh, and uh, 
you know, it's like, help us, help us, uh, throwing down their, their, their palm branches, uh, Hosanna, uh, really being a call, help us, Lord, help us, Lord, help us, Lord. And, and the thought being that as he rode into the town that, um, uh, that, that the people would be, uh, that he would be helping the people to be delivered from uh, Roman rule, and that was their expectation. Uh, they thought he would establish himself as king, throw the Romans out, and phenomenal things would happen. That was not at all the plan. So we read about him writing in, uh, and it says uh, down at verse 11 in Mark chapter 11, uh, in fact, I'll go to verse 9, it's uh, verse 8. Many of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. Others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. We know it's palm branches. Um, it's like creating a red carpet effect in front of Jesus. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and all the people around him were shouting, Praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest heaven. So that's what's taking place. You get to verse 11. It says, so Jesus came to Jerusalem, went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. So he goes over the Mount of Olives, goes back to Bethany, and uh, he is staying. The, the thought is, the belief is, he's stay, staying in the home uh, during this entire week uh, until Thursday night, he's staying in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So returning to Bethany, this this is kind of his HQ for the week in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They, they were dear, dear, dear friends. And, and out of that, I would just have a question for each of us, just out of verse 11. Do we have a home that Jesus would feel welcome in? That's a question. I mean, that's a question I, I would think about for myself um, or do we have homes that Jesus might not feel so welcome in you know and what would have to change about our homes for Jesus to feel welcome I mean would we give him our our most comfortable bed um, would we uh, you know offer him the meal would we have to change what would he have to change you know but he felt comfortable he felt welcomed he did not feel closed out uh, in their home Uh it was a home that he made home away from home. In fact, Jesus, in that three years as an itinerant, really did not have one home as he traveled around various places. And uh, some, someone said, I want to follow you, Jesus. Show us where you're staying. And he said, I don't really have a place where I'm staying. Uh, the Son of Man has no place on which to lay his head. You know, are we willing to lay aside some of the creature comforts in following Jesus? That is a question that... It comes to my mind as I think about him staying over in Bethany with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, we pick up in the text, and it says the next morning, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off, so he went over to see if he could find any figs. But there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. So, I mean, it is season for the leaves to be budding but not yet season for the fruit. Jesus would have known this. Then he said to the tree, uh, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And what is he getting to here in, in this, uh, in this, I need to open up uh, something I have 
on my phone. Um, what is he getting to? When he says, may no one ever eat your fruit again, and the disciples heard him say it. Uh, when he cursed out the fig tree for having no figs, I mean, it, it seems fair, but really, it, it's very symbolic. Uh, in the Old Testament, figs represented the nation of Israel. And representing the nation of Israel, Jesus was declaring that the nation of Israel had become spiritually bankrupt. Israel was dead uh, out of season. Uh, you can go to Matthew chapter 21 and read similar, or here in Mark 11, we read these verses. May no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. He curses the fig tree. He is making a statement that there isn't fruit really there uh, in the uh, in Israel. Uh, they, they have gone the wrong way. They've lost their fruitfulness. I mean, the same thing can happen to local churches where we lose our fruitfulness, where we lose our light, where we lose our saltiness. And we need to maintain that our saltiness. We need to maintain our fruitfulness. We may need to maintain our flavorfulness. We need to maintain our light so that Jesus wouldn't come to us and say, where's your figs? Where's your fruit? Uh, and we could boil that down even into our own lives as well. Now, remember, the day before, it says that he had gone to the temple. Remember, it said uh, here in these earlier verses, uh, in verse 11, Jesus came and went into the temple. He looked around. Now, one of the th questions I have, and I, I, I mean, I cannot answer this uh, absolutely, but I have the question of Jesus going into the temple, and as he looked around, was he, was he so appalled that he had to leave the temple? It says, after looking around, carefully at everything. He left because it was late in the afternoon. Uh, it was late. I mean, it was getting close to maybe closing time or time to get back over the Mount of Olives, back over to Bethany, where he would be staying at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Um, or was it that, could it be that he was so upset by what he saw that he had to leave uh, before he took action? He needed to go away and process some things in his mind. That could, in fact, have been the case uh, so that he would not sin uh, in his response to what he saw. We don't know. That, that is just one conjecture that comes to mind that, that sometimes when we're so appalled, so uh, upset, so angered by a situation that we necessarily have to excuse ourselves uh, and process what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have experienced, so that uh, we do not sin uh, in what our responses are. He cursed the fig tree, verses uh, 12 through 14, but then we come down to verse 15 and following down through uh, verse 19. It says, When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He was driving out both those selling and those buying. Uh, he knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling the doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, The scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. I mean, they were charging exorbitant, uh, exorbitant prices. They should not have been in the temple square. Outside the temple square might have been okay to sell things, 
but they were they were gouging people and uh, and I I got to experience that firsthand in in the way that people uh, bartered for things as I was in South Sudan I mean they bartered for everything uh, when, when we got into Kenya my friend Joseph wanted to barter for things that had a clear price tag and I said Joseph it doesn't work that way here you pay what the price is on the item and uh, but I can see them bartering here in the marketplace. Uh, and Jesus says these words, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. The leading priests and teachers of religious law heard what Jesus had done. They began planning how to kill him. And that would happen within the week. Remember, this is now Monday, Friday, he's crucified. But they were afraid of him because the people were so amazed at his teaching. And it says that evening, Jesus and the disciples left the city. Uh, and we know that they probably went back to the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus because verse 20 tells us the next morning as they passed by the fig tree and cursed, the disciples noticed it and withered from its roots up. Now, before I get into that, let me just go back real fast and talk about the house of prayer. I mean, I have to wonder at uh, as I look at, at the contemporary church, I look at our own church, in fact, Rassity Chapel. Are we a house of prayer? Uh, I mean, it's something that we have to consider. Are we a house of prayer? And what do we change to, to make our church a house of prayer? I'm not talking about where a pastor prays. I'm not talking about a, a handful of people coming together on a Wednesday morning to pray. I am talking about the prayerfulness that is invited by Jesus. In fact, not only invited, but expected that his house would be a house of prayer. Now, I wouldn't say we've turned it into a den of thieves by any stretch of imagination. I mean, we're, we're not known and noted for selling all kinds of wares and books and broadcasts and podcasts and DVDs and movies. And I'm not saying that necessarily those things are wrong uh, in certain situations, but sometimes we've so marketed everything in the church that we miss the heart of God and the prayerfulness that Jesus invites. And it's just something I pray that I myself and that we as a church get a strong conviction about, that we would become a place of prayer. And notice it says, for all nations. Having come back from this trip I was just on, I absolutely can tell you that we need to have heart for the entire world because every tribe, every tongue, every language will participate uh, in in the kingdom of God. So, actually, I, I don't want to get into verse 20, because this is now the next morning moving into uh, the next morning on Tuesday. So I'll come back to, to this uh, tomorrow morning. We've covered uh, what, what happened, just a few things. The fig tree is cursed, uh, and not only is the fig tree cursed, but... Um, we see Jesus driving out the money changers. Now, there could, there could be all kinds of questions that come out of that, like, well, was it right for Jesus to flip over their tables? Was it right for him to, was he angry? Did he lose his mind? Was he foaming at the mouth? I don't think so. Uh, I think this was justifiable, righteous indignation, righteous anger coming from God himself about the treatment of his very own temple by his very own people. Uh, I do think that there are occasions when, when things like this are okay. The question is, are we under control even in our anger? When we lose control, when we give the devil a foothold, 
uh, by by losing control, by saying a word we shouldn't say, uh, by uh, foaming and steaming in a way that we shouldn't foam and steam. I mean, that that's when I think we we go over the edge. Some would look at this and say, well, Jesus did it. It's okay for me to get mad at my house and throw a couple plates. Well, no, probably not. Uh, not at all. This is a different caliber, a different level. And the question comes to us, are we indignant by the things that would make the heart of God indignant? Like the unborn, the, the taking of the unborn life. Uh, that would be an example of something. Uh, and there, there could be other things. There, there are certainly challenges for us. I spent half of our broadcast this morning talking about my trip. Um, and you'll, you'll get to hear more about that another time. And now I'll spend time with you um, just thinking about what took place on that Monday. Stayed at the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And we ask ourselves, do we have a home that Jesus would feel comfortable staying in uh, and kind of making his headquarters? Uh, the fig tree, I mean, are we bearing the fruit uh, as a people of God, as a church? Uh, and then lastly, are we a place of prayer that we need to be? What do we need to change? So some challenges to us out of the scripture this morning and uh, hope we can take them to heart. Well, friends, I'm going to stop there. I'm going to pray. Lord, help us to be fruitful people. Help us to be always bearing fruit for Jesus. Help us to be as a church about the things that you're about, thinking of the National Day of Prayer coming up and and our own church participating in that. Lord, I pray that we'd have a record number show up uh, for the National Day of Prayer this year. because we take to heart that your house is to be a place of prayer. Help us to live for you today, to bring you honor, to bring you glory, to bring you praise uh, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to thank Nell for her prayer here at the end, uh, where she is saying, uh, Jesus, please revive Pastor Jim's body, fill him with renewed strength, and give him your wisdom and direction. And I appreciate that. Uh, my body is is got a little bit beat up here at the very end of the trip. I'm feeling some better this morning. Yesterday was kind of a rough day, but some rest and um, a little bit of Cipro, and uh, I'm feeling better. So, uh, friends, I will uh, let you go, and I will see you tomorrow. Have a great day, everyone. Be fruitful for Jesus. <laughs>